Hi, everyone. I'm Jim Cahill with another Emerson Automation Experts podcast. Globally, we are seeing an increasing emphasis on sustainability and decarbonization as countries, corporations, and communities further define and implement their roadmaps to achieve a net zero or carbon neutrality and operate in a more sustainable way. At the moment, this is nowhere more apparent than in Asia Pacific. Based on a Bloomberg NEF report, out of the $755 billion the world invested in low-carbon technologies in 2021, for example, things like renewable energy, electrified transport, hydrogen, carbon capture, sustainable materials, etc., 42% of that was invested in China, Japan, India, and Korea alone, with China increasing its investment by 60% compared to the prior year. We are launching an Asia-Pacific Sustainability and Decarbonization podcast series to take a closer look at the trends in the region and to discuss with experts on the technologies and applications that are key to enabling companies to achieve their decarbonization goals. Today, in the very first of this series of podcasts, I'm joined by Praveen Raj, Director of Strategic Planning, Sustainability and Decarbonization from Emerson Automation Solutions, Asia Pacific, and Bob Gill, General Manager for Southeast Asia for the ARC Advisory Group to discuss the sustainability and decarbonization trends we are seeing in the Asia-Pacific region and how Emerson is supporting our customers in this space. Welcome, Bob and Praveen. Hi, Jim and Bob. Excited to be here today. Hi, Jim. Hi, Praveen. Yes, happy to be part of the discussion as well. Well, it's great to have you both here with us. Praveen, let's begin by asking you to share your background and path to your current role with our listeners. Thanks, Jim. I'm based in Singapore, and I manage both the strategic planning and sustainability and decarbonization functions for Emerson Automation Solutions Asia Pacific. Prior to joining Emerson in Singapore, I was based in the United Kingdom and Azerbaijan, where I worked as an offshore installation engineer and later as a project manager responsible for leading the engineering, design, procurement, construction, and commissioning of offshore oil and gas platforms. Empowering a more environmentally responsible planet is ingrained in Emerson's purpose. I'm really inspired and passionate about how we help customers across some of the world's most essential industries make measurable sustainability progress. And I'm very grateful that I can contribute towards that in my current role. Well, thanks, Praveen. That's uh, a great, interesting background. It turns out I started my career in oil and gas offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. So we have some things in common there. And Bob, could you tell us about yourself? Yeah, sure, Jim. So, so I manage ARC advisory groups, business operations and market research activities in Southeast Asia. Some of you may know ARC provides technology research, advisory and consulting services to industrial automation and software suppliers, as well as to end user companies 
in the manufacturing, infrastructure, and energy sectors. Yeah, and so the ARC, we see very clearly that sustainability is becoming an absolutely key area of focus for the industrial end user companies in our ecosystem, as it also is for our technology supply clients who are developing and evolving products and solutions to help meet the sustainability needs of their clients, the end users. Well, thanks for sharing that background with our listeners, Bob. Well, let's get into it a little bit. Praveen, could you tell us a bit about Emerson's approach to environmental sustainability? Sure, Jim. Well, to help the world achieve a lower carbon future, Emerson has developed an environmental sustainability framework, which can be summarized by three key elements, greening off, greening by, and greening with. On the greening off Emerson, we are working across our sites to reduce emissions, engaging with our energy providers to integrate renewable sources, and embedding a sustainability focus in our management processes. On the greening by Emerson, we support and enable our customers' decarbonization roadmaps with Emerson solutions, technologies, and expertise. And finally, on the greening with Emerson, we engage with external stakeholders to provide industry leadership, develop innovative solutions with universities and research centers, as well as work to shape future policies with regulators. Well, that's great. And I guess in today's podcast, we'll be focusing on greening by, which is how we at Emerson are enabling our customers' decarbonization efforts, especially in the Asia-Pacific region. Bob, we are seeing a lot of momentum in Asia from a sustainability and decarbonization perspective. Could you share with us some of the key factors that are driving companies in Asia to invest in sustainability initiatives? Yes, Jim. So at ARC, you won't be surprised to know to learn that we do a lot of market research surveys, and we did a we did one quite recently in the process industries. And the aim of this was to get a better understanding of the current state of sustainability activities and initiatives. And interestingly, about half of the I think more than two hundred uh, survey respondents were actually from here in the Asia Pacific region. So we wanted to find out things like the drivers for initiating sustainability programs where companies are focusing their efforts, what challenges that they face, and also which technologies are are being used to advance those sustainability initiatives. So, for example, if I can give you a flavor of the the survey, when we asked about what's driving companies to initiate sustainability programs, the top two factors cited were, number one, to increase access to capital, and number two, to satisfy customer buying behavior. So let me give you some more information on, on the first one, which is to increase access to capital. So this is, this is really about the fact that many large investment firms are, are becoming increasingly sensitive to the sustainability performance of the industrial companies that they invest in. And they believe progress on sustainability is very important for their long-term portfolio risk. So companies believe successful sustainability programs will be favorable to them in terms of maintaining key investment relationships and increasing their access to to capital, which of course is is very important for their operations. But I think more than that, it it really indicates how critical central sustainability is becoming for companies. It's no longer just a nice, nice to have niche activity that's found somewhere in the back of the annual report, but really becoming really front and center of uh, company strategies. 
And just quickly on the second most cited factor, which was satisfy customer buying behavior. So really customers are becoming increasingly demanding that their products are more circular in their ability to be reused and be recycled rather than just ending up in landfill like in the old days. And chemical companies in particular are having to prepare for this customer-driven trend by developing and manufacturing more sustainable materials. Other factors cited by our server respondents in order of importance uh, was game competitive advantage, deliver shareholder value, mitigate regulatory risk, and improve access to new markets. So I think it's a very interesting findings from our survey on uh, the state of sustainability in the process industries there. Well, thank you for those great insights. Yeah, I can understand the need for capital to continue on with operations and, you know, satisfy increasing customer demands as well as the other ones. I guess, in fact, as a result of the factors you've mentioned, I understand that we are seeing an increasing number of organizations here in Asia transform their business and invest more in sustainability programs and projects. So Praveen, I'd like your perspectives here. What types of transformation are we seeing with organizations in Asia with respect to sustainability? You're absolutely right, Jim. We, we can broadly group the transformations we are seeing with organizations across Asia into three categories. In the first category are organizations that are establishing sustainability roadmaps and investing into sustainability-related companies. This includes acquiring or buying a stake into companies that own technologies in certain sustainability segments, like buying an electrolyzer company that produces hydrogen, or forming partnerships with companies in a particular segment of the value chain, like supplying fuel cells to electric vehicle manufacturers. In the second category are organizations that are making internal organizational changes to drive and coordinate sustainability initiatives, such as forming ESG or sustainability project departments to work on in-house projects, refocusing the business direction, such as EPCs, which are changing their names or setting up new business units to establish capability in the engineering and execution of sustainability projects. And in, in the third and last category are companies that are increasing their investments in R&D or technological developments in the sustainability space. Now, as we know, this, this is a new space and a lot of new technologies required to drive efficiency and cost reduction. Mid to long term R&D efforts are critical, such as the in the hydrogen segment where Driving down the cost of production, ammonia cracking efficiency, and effective transportation are all crucial areas to work on. So those are the three categories in terms of how we, you know, we could actually group the transformations we're seeing across Asia, Jim. I really like how you categorize the transformations, Praveen. You know, we are seeing these transformations take shape in different ways because organizations have different sustainability objectives. You know, and just to name a few, this could be to improve their energy management or reduce their emissions or even adopt cleaner energy sources. Bob, I guess let's start with energy management. What trends are you seeing across Asia? And I guess aside from the environmental benefits, what do companies stand to gain from managing their energy consumption better? 
Yeah, sure, Jim. So I don't think it would be too much of a surprise that the topic of energy management is taking on an increasingly important role in the industrial sphere. The green factory is not only important from an environmental standpoint, but ultimately increases profitability in production. So the need to reduce consumption of electricity, gas, air, water, steam, that's really driving the market for energy management solutions. What we find is more and more innovation is increasingly centered on software for data collection and advanced technologies, including machine learning, data analytics, and customized intuitive dashboards. So our latest report on the energy management software market, we estimate this to be worth around $4 billion globally. And currently, while Asia lags North America and Europe in in spending on on this category of uh, software energy management, the region, Asia Pacific, is forecast to offer suppliers the greatest potential for growth over the next several years. Absolutely, Bob. We're seeing a growing demand from organizations for energy management solutions and advisory support, as well as increased government funding to encourage better practices. For example, in Singapore, the National Environment Agency's Energy Efficiency Fund supports efforts of businesses with industrial facilities to improve energy efficiency. And this is just one of the many examples we are seeing across even other countries in Asia. Praveen, that's interesting. Uh, Emerson believes in the importance of continuing to work hand-in-hand with our customers to help them achieve their energy management goals. Could you share with us a particular collaboration, perhaps, you know, collaboration success story that exemplifies this? Sure, Jim. There's this particular collaboration success story that I would like to share with our listeners. And this involves a life sciences company that we are working with. And they had regulatory requirement for energy consumption reporting on a monthly basis. So we are now collaborating with them to automate the current manual process of collecting and reporting their energy-related data. And this includes all energy streams on their site, such as steam, water, air, electricity, etc., and also enable higher visibility of energy consumption across the entire organization. And as part of this work that we're doing with them, we'll also be able to facilitate timely maintenance of equipment to ensure energy efficiency and increase their equipment lifespan. And and this goes back to your point earlier in terms of aside from the environmental benefits, what are the benefits we can actually bring to the organizations? So in addition to helping them achieve the energy management goals through these measures, we anticipate around 20 to 25 percent reduction in maintenance, five to eight percent improvement in equipment lifespan, as well as possibly 30 percent improvement in operational efficiency. Wow, that's a great example, Praveen, of working together to obtain measurable improvements. Bob, let's switch gears and talk about a vital focus area to protect our environment, which is emission control. Why do industries play a key role in controlling emissions? And how are you seeing the need for solutions evolve here in Asia? Yeah, so so rapid industrialization, I mean, that's been... um a key facet of what's been happening in Asia over the last uh, 30 years. And it's really pulled many economies out of, uh, many people out of, out of poverty. But one of the negative factors about this rapid industrialization is its contribution to severe environmental damage. And I think as everybody should know by now, it's uh, toxic emissions from industries can pollute air, water and land. Uh, many and power plants and many other industries do emit tons of harmful gases into the atmosphere. 
So governments around the world increasingly require industries to keep track of pollutant emission rates using what are called emission monitoring systems, EMS. So while continuous EMS, CEMS, uh, has, been tr- has traditionally been used and approved for emissions monitoring, many countries now are also approving what are called software-based predictive EMS, PEMS is the acronym, for use in certain applications in lieu of an installed CEMS. So as outlined in ARC's report on uh, emissions monitoring systems market, stricter enforcement of monitoring regulations in the developed and developing economies is driving much of the growth in the market. And other factors contributing to this growth include the expanding energy sector in Asia and new regulations requiring monitoring of lower emissions ranges and new components. And I will uh, emphasize that the Asia-Pacific region is the biggest market for emissions monitoring systems with a share of over 50% globally. And thus, uh, not surprisingly, it has become a major focus point for supplies of this technology. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, Bob, on the importance of this. And this is an area in which we continuously strive to innovate our products and solutions to meet the strictest emission control requirements. Praveen, it would be great to get your insights on this. How are we partnering closely with our customers to solve their emission control needs? I'm glad we're discussing this, Jim. You know, to build on what Bob mentioned, we're increasingly seeing a need for emission control solutions driven by regulatory requirements. And the level of emission control is evolving and the pace varies across countries. In one particular case, we are collaborating with a nickel refining company in Korea to implement a continuous emission monitoring system or SEMS solution to ensure compliance with local government emission regulations. The solution includes the online transmission of data to the government. In addition to this, we are also collaborating on solutions for various other applications or industries such as marine ballast water management systems, truck emission control, flue gas desulfurization, dust collector systems, fugitive emission control, and more. Well, that's true, Praveen. Enabling solutions for a variety of industry applications is critical to achieving the overall objective. Bob, uh, to help reduce emissions, we are seeing a lot of countries now placing mandates requiring a certain number of new vehicles manufactured to be electric vehicles going forward. Has this created a significant boom in battery manufacturing? And how do you see things shaping up in Asia? Yes, that's right, Jim. I think I see a lot of people around here are going out to, to, buy, to buy Teslas. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Uh, but certainly, battery manufacturing is a very good indicator of the rising demand for electric vehicles that I, I'm certainly seeing in Singapore and it's certainly happening in other parts of Asia. The government initiatives, uh, they support not only the demand side of electric car purchase, but also the production of, of, of these batteries. And I mentioned a few ASA reports before, but uh, we've just come out with a new report with something we're analyzing for the first time is the machinery used for battery manufacturing. And this market is experiencing strong growth and is expected to continue its expansion path from the use of lithium batteries for electric vehicles, uh, not just cars, but also mobile machinery and also for in electronic devices. So giving you some figures, this market in terms of for battery manufacturing machinery is expected to have a compound annual growth of over 25%, yeah, 25% over the next five years. 
And I know I've mentioned Asia Pacific as a leader in, the, in what I've said so far, but when it comes to battery manufacturing machinery, you're talking about 80% share globally. So Asia is absolutely key in the whole area of lithium batteries. And the number of battery manufacturing facilities, especially in China, in Japan and in Korea, they, they do make this region, Asia Pacific, the world's leading producer of uh, lithium batteries and, and hence also the largest consumer of manufacturing equipment that is needed to make these batteries. Also going upstream elsewhere in, in Asia Pacific, down in Australia. Australia is the world's biggest producer and exporter of lithium, which of course is the key component in electric vehicle batteries. And hence the mining industry is also expected to benefit in the years ahead from this uh, electric vehicle boom that uh, we're all experiencing. Absolutely, Bob. The lithium-ion battery value chain starts from the mineral mining and refining, chemical processing of material, battery module packaging, and then the recycling of used batteries. And uh, Amazon is engaged in the entire value chain with a whole suite of technologies and comprehensive solution portfolio that comprises advanced process control, instrumentation, and valves to help customers operate efficiently. We also have subject matter experts associated with each part of the value chain to provide advisory support to customers to help them achieve top quartile performance. In Australia, Amazon has tremendous participation in the mining industry. We are helping customers in Western Australia in lithium mining, especially with solutions for the leaching process. And in China, Japan, and Korea, whether anode, cathode, or precursor material processing or battery cell manufacturing, we provide solutions which range from process automation to ultrasonic or laser welding systems for our customers to maximize productivity and quality. Yeah, the whole value chain is very interesting from the upfront mining to the midstream, making the cathode, anode, the electrolytes for the batteries, and then downstream, much more of a discrete process to put the batteries together. And it's interesting that uh, we have technologies that can help across those three areas. So great insights, Praveen, on that. Bob, in line with global trends, Countries in Asia are rebalancing their energy mix and adding more cleaner fuels to their energy basket to prevent harmful effects to the environment and ensure long-term national energy security and mm -hmm. to meet their respective domestic requirements. What clean fuels are you seeing gain significant traction here in Asia? Yes, Jim. In fact, the energy transition, I mean, that phrase I'm seeing on a daily basis in conferences, in papers, in the daily newspaper, I can't get away from this phrase, energy transition. And certainly the installed capacity of renewable energy in Asia is set for major capacity expansion over the next several years. In fact, to increase by 40% by 2025. Solar and wind power generation, they are two of the most attractive renewable energy sources to use to alleviate concerns and reduce carbon dioxide emissions. And what we're seeing is that falling costs and more supportive government policies, they're, they're really driving solar power growth across Asia Pacific. But China is really leading here and China alone set, is set to add 619 gigawatts between now and uh, 2030. China is also the global leader in wind energy. Last year in 2021, it built more offshore wind capacity, 17 gigawatts, 
and the rest of the world can buy into in the last five years. So that's really going full steam ahead in terms of wind energy in China and also solar as well in China. Uh, if I can uh, just uh, pivot here to Southeast Asia, probably less well known in this region, in Southeast Asia, is that Vietnam, which is still very much a developing country, is actually leading the sustainability charge. It hosts a third of all renewable energy capacity in Southeast Asia. And in the face of rising energy demand as the country is industrializing, the government is intent on reducing the country's reliance on coal, the traditional fuel, to generate power for consumers and for, for industries. So under the National Power Development Plan 2021 to 2030, the government plans to generate 50 gigawatts from onshore and offshore wind and solar energy by 2030. So, and I know everyone's heard a lot about hydrogen, everyone's talking a lot about hydrogen, and certainly hydrogen is a new kid on the block. And this, what I call nascent sector, is, is getting extensive support from governments in the region, particularly China, Korea, and Japan, who all see its potential and value in helping to achieve a clean, secure, and affordable energy future. Now, I, I've mentioned ARC reports, and I've talked about ARC coming up with, coming up with a lot of new reports and again, we've released a brand new report for the first time, which analyzes the market for control systems and control devices in hydrogen production, transportation, storage, and distribution. So I'm talking about technology like flow meters, pressure transmitters, temperature transmitters, PLCs, DCS, distributed control systems, and control valves. And we forecast that the market for these technologies in the hydrogen sector will, will develop faster than average and decouple from normal market growth. In, in other sectors. And Asia Pacific is set to be the fastest growing region in the forecast period, which is 2020 to 2025, with a CAGR of 11%. So hydrogen, again, becoming very, very key in, in Asia Pacific. Well, it's interesting to hear those growth rates coming out and agree with you on that importance of cleaner fuels and renewables to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. In addition to solar and wind, we are seeing a growing demand for bioenergy, hydropower, and hydrogen across the region. Praveen, you are best placed to comment on this. How are we able to support our customers to incorporate cleaner fuels into their energy mix? You know, Jim, as Bob mentioned, we're seeing a significant increase in the use of cleaner fuels across the region. And with each country's domestic energy mix and need varying, it is essential that we as Emerson collaborate closely across the value chain to implement safe, cost-effective and reliable solutions. Um, let's take a look at hydrogen as an example. There are many ways of producing, storing, transporting and using hydrogen. Currently, the cost of green hydrogen production is still high and cost reduction of the electrolysis process is expected. Also, many ongoing R&D efforts are going into efficient and safe transportation through different mediums such as ammonia as a hydrogen carrier. Depending on availability of resources, different countries and companies have been focusing on different parts of the hydrogen value chain. We are seeing many collaborations materialize as a result of this. Several cross-region partnerships and collaborations have been formed, such as between Japan and Australia, as well as between Korea and Australia. Amazon has a whole suite of solutions across the entire value chain, from pileups to scaled-up projects across the world. For example, we provided process control, instrumentation, and solenoid valves, as well as pressure regulators to, to successfully complete the world's largest polymer electrolyte membrane, or PEM, electrolyzer project in Canada. 
We also participated in a project in Western Australia, which generates clean hydrogen through solar-powered electrolysis. This was a significant step in Western Australia's move towards a hydrogen economy. And in Korea, we've worked with we've worked with major power generation companies on various fuel cell type projects, including the largest fuel cell power plant in Korea. Now, now if we look at the solar power segment, our Ovation DCS and SCADA systems can help control critical solar power generation processes, increase operational efficiencies and megawatt production, and realize long-term operations and maintenance savings. And also in the wind power segment, we're very excited about Amazon's recent acquisition of Meter Technique, as our wind portfolio can now provide holistic solutions to customers for complex wind operations, encompassing wind turbine control and wind farm operations. Well, that's really a broad range of different renewables that we're involved with. I really thank you for those insights, Praveen. Great examples of strategic partnerships and Emerson's capabilities to help drive the usage of hydrogen, wind, and other cleaner fuels going forward. Well, we can continue to talk about this topic, but you know, I want to be respectful to your time and save some of the discussions for future podcasts. Bob and Praveen, any final comments? Uh, yes, Jim, I think we could probably spend the next several hours talking about this topic. It's uh, not only interesting, but absolutely very, very important. But I would say that in this whole era of sustainability and decarbonisation, what we do here in Asia-Pacific will play absolutely critical role in overcoming this global challenge of climate change. And if you see the, the report that was released earlier this week from the United Nations, the IPCC, this challenge is becoming even more urgent and uh, we need to accelerate what we're doing in, in all these aspects. And I would say Asia is, well, Asia Pacific is critical because this region, I think we shouldn't forget, this region is home to 60% of the world's population. It's also responsible for more than half of global energy consumption. And currently, this is not a good statistic, but 85% of that currently comes from fossil fuels. As a consequence, Asia Pacific generates more carbon dioxide emissions than the combined total of all other regions in the world. But I think as we've discussed today, you know, technology will play an absolutely huge part in developing and growing renewable energy industries across this region and in making our industrial facilities and operations far more sustainable, which is absolutely what we, we actually need to do. You know, Jim, Bob, you know, completely agree with both of you. This is a topic that we can go on talking about. And in fact, we should go on talking about. You know, it's, it's, it is inspiring to see the tremendous momentum here in Asia Pacific pertaining to investments in sustainability and decarbonization projects. Um, the coordinated efforts by countries, co companies and communities are definitely moving us in the right direction to achieve a low carbon future. Having said that, much more needs to be done, and, and we want to contribute towards making that possible. Amazon is committed to working together with our partners here in Asia to develop innovative technologies and to provide a complete solutions portfolio to enable industries to decarbonize and to help companies operate in a more sustainable way. Well, I think this has been a great discussion. Praveen, before we wrap things up, where can our listeners go to learn more and how can they connect with us on any specific questions they might have? Well, Jim, a great place to start is our sustainability and decarbonization webpage. 
Through that, you can find out more about our sustainability initiatives, our solutions, and also reach out to us. So so that's a great start. But also as part of this Asia-Pacific podcast series, we will also be sharing with you the contact details of the Emerson Sustainability and Decarbonization representative for your respective countries here in Asia-Pacific. So please feel free to contact them if you have any queries or need assistance. Well, there you have it, folks. It's been a really good discussion. I want to thank you, Praveen and Bob, for joining us and sharing your insights on sustainability and decarbonization across the Asia-Pacific region. Yeah, thank you very much, Jim. And uh, thanks especially for inviting ARC to be part of this uh, first podcast on sustainability and decarbonization. Thanks a lot, Jim. It's been a great discussion with you and Bob on this here. Yeah, I I agree. I think our listeners will have gained a lot from this. And for all our listeners, this is the first in the series of our Asia-Pacific Sustainability and Decarbonization podcast coming your way. Do follow our page for details for the next podcast, where we will cover specific segments like hydrogen, carbon capture, and more in greater detail with our subject matter experts from across the Asia-Pacific region. Mm -hmm.